It's your pal Siri. You have found the Ambiguously Blind Podcast, where we are challenging beliefs and revealing abilities that make people extraordinary. With your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. Happy New Year. It is 2023. We are back from a little hiatus that we had over the last few weeks. So thank you for being with us and supporting the uh, little podcast that could. We have some really big plans for this year. We are re-energized and um, are, are excited about the year and what's, uh, what is to come. So I, I thank you being along for the ride. I encourage you to go to ambiguouslyblind.com. But as, as I've said before, that's a, <laughs> that's a big word, ambiguously. So uh, there's show notes down below. We'll have a link to the website. There's lots of resources there. All the podcast episodes catalog there. There's some great books and things from some of the people that have been on the podcast. And there's also some ways to support the podcast if you feel so inclined to get uh, financially involved in the future of the podcast and help things keep going. We greatly appreciate that too. So just look down in your show notes or head to ambiguouslyblind.com for all those details. Someone else that's got a big year planned is the guest for this episode, Lucas Seminer. He is the CEO and founder of Clusive, which is an Austin, Texas-based startup that is a skills uh, provider for uh, people getting into employment or getting into the workforce or in the workforce that need some additional skills and learning for mostly blind and visually impaired community which I've just kind of recently found out is a lot larger than I originally anticipated. And there's a lot of opportunity for, for the blind and visually impaired community to uh, really ratchet up their game and their skills. And Clusive's uh, really doing a, a tremendous job of making that available. Luke and his team are, are poised to, uh, it's going to be a good year for them too. And I'm excited to get a lot of the details about what's happening what the road looks like ahead for them too. So, hey, Luke, thanks for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Thanks for having me, John. I'm pretty excited about it. I hope so. I hope so. Not everybody's excited to talk to me. I got a house full of people, household full of people that uh, aren't. So it's always nice to talk to somebody that is interested to talk to me. So that's awesome. <laughs> very, very much so. Clusive. You are the CEO and founder. Give me kind of the overview. What is Clusive? Short and sweet, Clusive is the world's first e-learning platform that's built for and by people who are blind with the aim of removing barriers between the blind population and the workforce. Yeah, so the, and this is the Ambiguously Blind podcast, so we got the blindness thing going on. You guys are focused on helping people affected with sight loss, the whole gamut, I, I presume, uh, blind and visually impaired? Correct, the full, full spectrum of it. Yeah, and I just think that's awesome. I don't know, you said you're the first and only? Correct. Um, we're the first that, you know, scalable, asynchronous and remote learning platform. So there are a few people in America anyway that, that have, are they blind or visually impaired, right? There's like millions. So what, what, what are the, do you have some stats on blindness in the United States? Yeah, the stats are um, a little fuzzy, you know, mainly due to the census and, you know, the way we collect things. But as far as we know, there's roughly 7.6 million blind or low vision Americans. The unemployment rate uh, roughly at 76% is the closest estimate um, from Bureau of Labor Statistics. 
Rehab Services Administration, when it comes to like salary and earnings, Rehab Services Administration, which you've, if you've never heard of them, it's probably a sign you don't work in the government. But I've never heard of them, yeah. Yeah, they fall under Department of Education, and they're the ones in charge of uh, the WIOA, or Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act, the money that funds vocational rehab. Anyways, um, the graduates of vocational rehab, they have a median salary, if they get a job, a median salary of roughly $17,000 a year. Um, and then the census and BLS had the average salary of blind Americans at 27,000. So somewhere between 17 and 27,000 is where you find your average blind American salary. Those are all staggering numbers. Let's back up for a minute. So 7.6 million people in America blind or visually impaired. Yes. And maybe half, call it half of that is working age. Yeah. But just still, that's, that's a large number of people in that, in that community of the disabled community of blind or visually impaired is that do you is that number growing i mean is it is it larger today than it was before or is it i mean obviously the population's growing but i mean like proportionately is that kind of been the same do you know anything about that i haven't done a longitudinal study myself and i, I don't know if anybody has these are spot articles and they could be very contextual but blindness and, and vision loss is happening at an increasing rate yeah, I, I get that feeling. I just don't know if that's if that's actually true or not. So you think it is? Yes, and especially in, in the older ages, right? Um, even outside of things like retinitis pigmentosa or meningitis or you name it, just as a factor of what we're doing to our eyes 24-7 these days. Oh, yeah. I think that the next generations, they're probably going to, probably going to have a significant increase. In yeah, like all the screen time and the blue lights and all the, yeah. Great. You know, yes, that right. or we're going to have like steroid eyes and just really, really <laughs> strong muscles. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> One of these that's there. interesting. I never thought about it like that either. Huh. So of the half or so of those 7.6 million of their working age, uh, 76% of them are unemployed. Is it un or under or just unemployed? Unemployed. The underemployed number, um, that's one that's really hard to wrap your head around. The Census Bureau has a they have a 92% on it, but there's like a big old asterisk because that's something that's super hard to really be objective on. Yeah, pinpoint, yeah. It's a staggering numbers. And and I mean, that's what led to Clusive is the, me asking why. Yeah, <laughs> like, so, and, and then probably most, I guess, shocking of that is the income level. That's um, That's below poverty, I would imagine. I don't know what minimum wage is if you stretch it out to an annual amount, but depends on the state. In the states that have 15 an hour minimum wage, the cost of living is so that 15 an hour is still below yeah, poverty. poverty. Yeah. <laughs> um, like New York or something. I don't know. And now we're both in Texas. I, don't, I won't hold that against you. Uh, I'm not a Texan though. I was born in Ohio. So, uh, you know, I, I, got here, I got here as fast as I can. That's, that's what we're supposed to say. I love Texas. I'm never going to leave Texas, at least uh, on my own accord. I, I, I feel like things are in pretty good shape here relative to some other areas in the country. I'm glad I'm here, but 27,000, that, that wouldn't come close to working for me. No. I mean, in Austin, you would need six roommates probably if you were all making that much. And yeah, yeah I was born in Nebraska myself and moved here five years ago. And this is the first state that I stayed in for more than a year. Uh, used to hop around, but fell in love with Texas. Yeah, it's great. I mean, Austin's great too. You know, I mean, it, Austin's weird. You know eh, that, right? It has its moments. Yeah, I mean, it's the, 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 all the you know. Keep Austin weird. You, do you have the shirt yet, or do you have a bumper sticker yet? I mean, no, I got the house here. I, I, 
you know, it's a great place to start a company. It used to be a great place to figure out your career and your life, but now it's gotten too expensive. And so yeah, it is. Uh, now you kind of got to come here more established. But when I moved here, it was very much a figure yourself out place. Um, there's a lot more weird in the fun ways. Yeah, that's for sure. So, okay. Clusive says we've got these stats that are staggering and we got to try to figure out a way to make this better. Right. That's kind of the concept or that, that was your idea anywhere. you what, did you have some sort of epiphany moment that said this is crazy or was there, what's kind of the origin of, of your venture with inclusive? Uh, How'd you get started with that? It, it really starts. Inclusive is a life story. Um, in essence, so not to ramble, I'll try to keep it short, but I was born, as we talked about before the show, single mom, abject poverty, nothing. When I was seven, I was diagnosed with severe dyslexia, thrown in a trailer back by in the school, told I was mentally retarded and that I was, you know, just going to read the same book multiple times until I did something right. Um, anyways, that summed up my K through 12 experience. Literally, it, it never got better. Uh, I joined the army at 17, was a uh, airborne paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division, um, was a cavalry scout in that famed 82nd Airborne Division, and then I got wounded in Afghanistan uh, at the ripe old age of 19, and then I got out of the army at 20. Um, and this all gets to the the epiphany point, but uh, when I got out, I you know I had to straighten myself out from being a 19 year old that had gone to war. Um, I was still not old enough to buy my own first legal drink <laughs> and big asterisk on the word legal there, but, um, you know, I started uh, working cause that's, you got to pay bills. You have to live. So I was a cable guy, um, then another cable guy and then concrete trucks. I drove, that was one of the good ones, drove diesel trucks. I got my Hank Hill on, sold propane and propane accessories for a bit. That was pretty taxing on me. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did, I did everything on the sun, worked on the railroad before I ended up going to school for nursing. And I did, did that for a bit and like that either. And so long story short, one day I decided software was my next step after moving to Austin for a girl, mainly because Austin was like the modern day gold rush. It was literally like San Francisco was for gold back in the day. That was Austin for software in 2018. If you could write an ounce of code in the worst way possible, you could make $80,000 which is more money than I'd ever made. Mm -hmm. So I taught myself how to code <laughs> and uh, ended up getting a job after six months of really grinding at it. Um, got a job at an uh, insurance company, multinational insurance company and uh, our rating app, they got sued for ADA noncompliance. So it was inaccessible, uh, the rating app. And uh, essentially this, this lawsuit was going to tank this division of the, the firm. And so the CEO and the CTO came out and they said, does anybody know anything about accessibility and engineering? And they're like, uh, no, because no one does. And it's not even talked about. And um, it really isn't in any of the curriculums. <laughs> and that night I was at the gym and I, I just had a thought. I was like, my mom married this guy. She married him when I was out of the army and older, so I barely knew him. Uh, but I said, he's blind. You know, what if? But he can help me understand the accessibility of it. So I called him and we came down to this, this idea of, you know, if what if I sit you next to me and where you find a break in the app, I'll just implement a fix in the code and we'll test it with a rapid feedback loop until I get it right. Like it can't be that hard, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. 
And he's like, if I get you paid for this, are you down? He's like, yeah. So I pitched it to the CEO and CTO. I was like, man, I'm going to get fired for this. (laughs) As the newest engineer, you have such horrible imposter syndrome when you're in a position you feel like you don't necessarily deserve. Mm -hmm. They, They said, yeah, go for it. And so they fly me back up to Nebraska where my family's at at that point and uh, sit down next to him. We do just that. And in seven working days, we mitigated this lawsuit, saved that company millions of dollars in litigation fees. And I get a raise and a promotion. And I'm just, I'm ecstatic, man. You know, like to squash my imposter syndrome. Yeah. Achievement. Yeah. Nice. Almost dramatically, as dramatic as a movie could be. you know, I turned to my stepdad and he's just downtrodden and depressed. And I'm like, dude, so what's the issue? You just got paid out really well for this. I did a great thing. It was fun. And you got to know your stepdad a lot better probably too, right? Yeah, there was a lot of profanity exchange. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, that's, how you, that's how you learn a man right there. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, he turns to me and he says, Luke, for the first time in my life, I feel intellectually valued sucks because it's never going to happen again that was the light bulb for me Mm, interesting yeah the army is not exactly an intellectually enlightened place right you're the scum on somebody's boot until you got stripes and then you're the scum on somebody bigger's boot and it just rinse wash repeat don't think execute do the shit well nursing is a better paid version of that um add in fluorescent lights Every blue collar job I ever worked was, I was, Luke, you're valuable for your shoulders. Shut up. Okay, cool. Um, It wasn't until I was an engineer that I got to understand that there's a type of labor in this country where you're valued for your brain and your thought, not just physical strength, Mm -hmm. you know, and it all, it all just popped into me. Like, that's why I love this job. Oh my God, how horrible. There's a segment of Americans that that don't have that opportunity for no reason other than a lack of X, right? Now, I didn't know what the X was at that point, but I'd the problem would bug me so much that I'd spend the next year of my life thinking about what the X was and figuring it out. Uh, and what I deduced after much research was the X was training. And probably education and just information. Yeah. Probably just like, because there's a lot of times where you know, as a guy who lost sight in, when I was 19, I was almost 20 when it happened. I, there's a lot of people that have sudden accidents or have sudden things happen, or even with a, something like RP or something where everything is okay. And then all of a sudden it's not, there's like a dramatic change and, and things can change before you really know about it. So in that time, like in, in my case, particularly, I didn't, I didn't know anybody blind. I didn't know anybody with visual impairment. I didn't know any of that stuff. And so all of a sudden it's like, okay, um, pat me on the back, send me home from the hospital, do some rehab and got to get back at it kind of thing. So you have to learn on the fly, you know, quickly uh, to survive. And there are resources. Most of them are government resources. And uh, you mentioned a minute ago about working for the government. I mean, you know how that stuff works. I mean, we certainly need that stuff and it's, it's good that it's there. But the uh, the private sector can do that stuff a little bit a little bit faster and be a little bit more up on the uh, you know technology is key here too because the, with with the speed of technology what what I was getting before you know, it, it was it was a couple years behind 
where the current technology was kind of thing. So yeah, that's why we need um, government stuff for sure to, to kind of get us by. But uh, if you want to excel or you want to do something better than average, um, you've got to find it on your own. Yeah. And I, I think that that's to me, like there's a couple of ways I look at it. Right. But, uh, and there's a lot of factors that, that pull in, but when I started Clusive, to me, it was, you look at the tech stack and what I mean by that is the tools that are just used by an employee, right? It went from, if you knew email, you could get a job. I mean, shit, you could do a lot of jobs, but now in 2022, 2023, and then beyond, it's no longer just email. It's, it's, and it hasn't been for some time. It's email, it's cloud storage, it's digital meeting platforms. It's, it's job specific software, like a CRM. Um, and if you are not competent and confident in the use of those things, it, long before we even talk about the soft skills side of things, which a lot of invocational rehab is, is needed, you're doomed from the get-go, right? Like you're never going to get to exercise the potential of who you could be as a human because you're never going to be able to get a job that gives you those resources, and, you know, and I shouldn't say never, right? I, I don't mean it in, in such a down downtrodden way, but to me, that's how I, I kind of feel about it is, you know, you're limiting someone's ability to produce for themselves because there, there isn't a, something to break down that, that gap in training. And it's, you know, that, that is in part what made Clusive so special too, was I like, like we were talking about before the show, I don't think I can be the CEO of a company uh, that wasn't doing this, right? It's inherent to my nature that I need something worth fighting for. And to me, this is a cause that, you know, uh, I had to pitch 185 venture capitalists, venture capital firms um, to get my first yes. Yeah, I, that's, that's, uh, that's sales. And, and that's, that's what you're doing. We talked about that, too, uh, yeah. a little while ago. And also, you know, you said you needed something to fight for. You, you've got that background in the, in the Army, too, right? Um, yes. You've, you've got that kind of mentality already, it sounds like, maybe. Yeah, the, the kind of the anti-bully mentality, right? I feel like society, not intentionally, but maybe passively, had been bullying this community into like, ah, go work in a warehouse, go pack toilet paper, go make pens, go do this, go, you know, go make enough just enough to where you can still get ssdi you know and that's your cap that's what you're limited to um and to me you know at least for me because it's so hard to perceive as, as other people feel the world but to me if i wasn't constantly getting better i would essentially be suffocating i would feel gross and so to me the idea of telling someone that hey this is what you're stuck doing that's the epitome of living torture like you're not going to let them gain fulfillment. And then you're furthermore, you're going to relegate them essentially to unhappiness. And it's like, this is not the America I fought for. So now I'm going to fight for the America that I want to fight for. And I'm going to do it through my company. And the, it's kind of a cycle too. Like if you don't have the information, you don't have the confidence, you, you don't have the skills, you can't feel comfortable even applying for work or know even necessarily where to look for work. And then if you do somehow get something um if you can't perform or don't have the resources like because i don't know what the companies what what the ada says or what what regulations are in place for certain services that that need to be i, I don't i don't know anything about that and maybe you do a little bit but like i don't know what companies are supposed to do when they run into situations where they need somebody needs assistance with things if there's legal stuff for that 
we cover that. That's part of our training. Yeah. Accommodations and disclosures. Yeah. So are there regulations? Mm-hmm. Like, are there legal ramifications for companies against that kind of stuff? Or is it more just things they should be doing and, and things are like, we just don't talk to these companies because they, they're known not to do these kind of things. Or how do you guys handle that stuff? Uh, it's somewhere between Occam's razor and the chicken or the egg um, is where the, the company issue falls, right? There's, there's legal regulations around accommodations um, and around disclosures. And one would like to think that a good company wouldn't shy away from hiring someone just because they're, they're blind or disabled in any fashion, right? It's a, you know, the intellectual capability is not hindered by someone's use of a cane or a wheelchair or anything, right? That seems to be right. I mean, that, that's, that's a perfect world, right? Yeah. And that being said, there's, no, there, there's almost no way to, to prove that, right? If you show up to an interview and you happen to be blind, did they really hire just a better candidate all around? Perhaps. In fact, maybe most likely. But is it always going to feel like you're, you know, I felt the same way to an extent uh, when I was applying for engineering jobs because I didn't have a fancy bachelor's degree in it. I had taught myself for the most part. And I was a veteran. And I, I was, you know, applying to the very young, hip, cool guy, hacky sack software companies. And I was like, man, I'm like, I'm not a crusty old veteran, but I, you know, I'm a lot more put together. I have a high and tight. Is this software company not hiring me just because I'm a different vibe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, um, anyways, point being, regulations don't do much to protect you in the interview process. They try, but outside of blatant discrimination, there's nothing, no which way you can, you can do anything about that. So a lot of it, I think, too, is, is just perception. When I went to pitch, some of the most telling stuff when I pitched these venture capital firms, um, these are people that are mostly very well educated from all across the country. I would say for the most part, pretty smart folks. It's not an easy job to just meander your way into typically. Mm-hmm. And when I would tell them this, they'd say, wait, blind people can use a computer? And I'm like, dude, what? And then I realized that like it was a privilege for me to have my stepdad be blind. Because what happens in society? Well, there's blind workplaces. And so what happens? Blind people, at least in, in Nebraska, is this way. I don't know about the rest of the country, but there was one handy bus, handicap bus, that would go on a certain route. So you had to live within X parameters and you had to work it at Y place. And that handy bus took you to that place. There was a grocery store in between that it would stop at on certain days. And that was the only time you would actually encounter someone who was blind in the wild, if you will. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, most of society doesn't understand that this is a sizable population, <laughs> you know, much less. And that these are ridiculous conditions. Yeah. Yeah. That they can use it and that they can use a computer. <laughs> like, like to me, I, my jaw was dropped and I was almost just like third party offended, if you will, at first. I said, like, what the hell is wrong with you, dude? And then I realized, like, society just genuinely doesn't know and so since they never see blind people in the workplace society probably assumes it's a capabilities issue and so there's even more to overcome and so and that's why me inclusive um, we're adamantly vocal about it i'm so proud so cool fact inclusive is one of the few companies to raise a, a seed round we raised just over two and a half million dollars um just a few months back four or five months ago during a recession, one of the few companies to, to pull that off. Here's the cool part. At that point, 
over 70% of my company was blind and low vision individuals. If I can do it at a startup, the Fortune 500 can do it. <laughs> yeah, pretty easily, I imagine, right? Yeah. The chaos of a startup is a lot harder to, <laughs> to cross-pollinate and cross-communicate. So, uh, but that's that's where it comes into, you know, having a truly diverse team is a superpower. Yeah. And just we, we've talked about a few buzzwords that go around diverse. <laughs> um inclusion which is uh in the name clue i assume that's where that name comes from clusive so if you want to know the funny brand story i'll tell you i do want to know the funny brand story let's have it <laughs> so when i first started not this but a different version of this um i called it raven's eye uh, mainly because my ancestors are norwegian and you know the in norwegian mythos the uh owed me hand like Hugen and Munin, I'm mispronouncing the names, but uh, the two ravens, essentially they'd fly around the world, tell them everything that was going on, right? And that's what I wanted to be for the blind population. It's like, how do we condense this to one place? Well, change the business model and uh, change the corporation, completely new entity, everything. And um, I was talking to the, the few people, like a volunteer team at that point, because uh, I had no money. I was living off ramen myself and, I uh, I told him, I said, look, every company in this space, their website looks like a handicap sign. It's blue and white. And that's just the mental signal that that sends to me. We need to make this sexy. We need to bring sexy back, you know? <laughs> and we need to bring it to this space because we're going to be the first for-profit company to do it. And um, so we had a Victoria's Secret Pink website. <laughs> And, and the name Clusive because we thought it was catchy. Um, and to this day, I love the name Clusive um, because we are inclusive and we're making a more inclusive world. But yeah, the, these buzzwords, I think the rest of society has kind of gone off on a, a wild hair with them. Do you find in, in your dealings with uh, companies that you guys work with or for or whatever, however you do that, do does somebody come to you and say, man, we've got this inclusion thing and I've got to hire so many percentage of this or something. Does that really happen? I or, wish. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's spoken of and it's, um, you know, to use another term that's, that I think oftentimes without getting, uh, this is not a political show. What's, <laughs> I'm not trying to get in the political weeds or anything here, but you, you hear people, you know, the term virtue signaling with, with these kind of things. And I think that's pretty harmful um, if that's what's going on when people use these because I think also even when you talk about diversity, I don't, I don't know. Everybody has, I think their own idea of diversity and everybody, whoever, whoever that person is, is coming from their own experience of what they think diversity should be. And if you just look at the word diversity, it, it means a wide array or a, a wide spectrum or a, you know, a many different as opposed to everybody should be blind here or everybody should be a certain ethnicity or they shouldn't be this, or they sexual orientation and genders and all these things. I think diversity really includes a lot of stuff, but I don't think people always in actuality preach no. or practice that. I think I don't, I don't, I think everybody's got their own colored glasses on or what they think diversity should look like. And that's what they think their truth is about, about diversity. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's a mess. Um, I think a bunch of grifters took over that space um, in light of 
unfortunate socioeconomic and political conditions that occurred in the past few years. And, and it, it's just hard, you know, because the damage that that does to people who actually need initiatives, communities that actually need initiatives to get into um, these jobs, to, to kind of set the tone, to be the record breakers, if you will. To me, you know, I look at it as regardless of your skin color, if you, fi- if you hire five people that went to a tier one college, regardless of their skin color, you have zero diversity. Because what was their socioeconomic upbringing? What did they, what was their conditioning in college? Because what's the purpose when we say diversity makes a stronger team? What's the purpose of it? It's that you have a completely asymmetrical life experience to me and the person next to you, completely asymmetrical to the both of us. And that is where you harness superpower from diversity. It's, it's not a skin color alone. It's not a sex alone. It's not a pronoun alone. It's nothing alone. It's, you know, if you're going to focus on that, focus on the composite. For me personally, like my hiring principles, I hire the best person for the job, right? And if it happens to check X boxes, that's wonderful, like great. But that's not why I'm going to hire or not hire someone. That might get me in trouble. I don't know. But the uh, <laughs> the the most crazy thing I can say is that when I've talked to any publicly listed company outside of a few, there's a few that are really cool. Shout out J.P. Morgan Chase. They're they're a bunch of badasses. They're really cutting edge when it comes to truly being inclusive and and have a lot of diversity. But a lot of companies I talk to, when you bring up the idea of including blind people and inclusion, they're like, huh? Oh, well, that no, that, that that's not really like that's not really what, what we meant by that. I'm like, what, what do you what do you yeah? Well, well then let's create a new word and let's get these people hired, you know? And in one of the podcasts we had, uh, Lucifer has a occasionally intermittent company podcast for really cool people we get to interact with. But uh, it's my take, and I, I like to I'm happy to say it here. Uh, I'm convinced it'll take a generation of blind warriors to really cut through the societal perception and set the tone. You know. Um, during the civil rights movement, it took a generation of African-American warriors to drink at the white water fountain, to not shop at that store, to sit on that bus, to do whatever the movement happened to need that day mm-hmm. to get, and, and go beyond just the beginning of civil rights and go into uh, professional workforce. It took a generation of black lawyers, right. To, to pass the bar, represent people in court, prove competence, and not just prove competence, but they had to truly kick ass because if they messed up even once, cool boy. And I think with the blind community, it's going to take the same thing. It's going to take a generation in mass to do that. Do you think it's moving now? Is that generation alive now? I, and this is not even trying to be uh, pitching of inclusive. I think it is now. And I think that I'm not saying inclusive is the only way, but I think that this is the start of the start of that flow, right? The people that go through our course now and end up going to college, go, go through our training now and end up getting into the college that they wouldn't have got into before or getting the job they wouldn't have got before. That's the start of it, right? And they get to be the success stories for maybe the generation that they're the ones that are doing it. Mm-hmm. It's exciting to me because I like to, I like to fight for things of meaning. And I think that's one of the most meaningful things I could ever do with my life. 
Okay, so Clusive does training for, uh, you've mentioned college people, you've mentioned job training, you've mentioned you work, I think you work with companies too, to kind yes. of help solve what kind of what's the overarching, like who are the, who's the, the customer for Clusive? It's probably a couple different things, right? Or a couple different people or places. Yeah, so that's one of the reasons I had to pitch 185 VCs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I came to you and I said, all right, John, I want you to build a product for a demographic that has been socioeconomically uh, relegated to menial labor for menial wages throughout history. They have not all that much purchasing power as a whole, as a composite. What you're going to do is going to cost millions of dollars, and I want you to do it in a matter of one year. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. That was that was <laughs> that was the game. Yeah. Uh, and so I had to figure out how do I get this product to the blind community without charging the blind community, right? right. If, if my customer base who needs this the most is relying upon SSDI, I, I can't charge them right now. Right. How do that's, I do that's not going to work. So uh, what we realized is, you know, the vocational rehab agencies across the country, every state has one. Um, that's who we sell to. And so my main buyer is the state vocational rehab agencies. Um, that way, when someone wants to take my course, they don't pay anything out of pocket. Um, at some point in the future, we'll probably have like a subscription iPhone app of sorts um, to help with employment tasks, assistive technology, you name it. But mm -hmm. that's in the future. Right now, um, our main customers are the rehab agencies. Um, so selling to the government, which is something most VCs don't like. Um, during the recession, it's turned out to be really cool because we're the only company with uh, a customer that's pockets just got deeper. Our main user, of course, is the, the blind individual or low vision individual that's between the ages of 16 and 60. Um, and that's, you know, the limiting factor is that you have to be in vocational rehab to get a hold of our, our training right now, at least the full, the full training. It's, uh, we just started the year. It's 2023 now at least at the time of this recording anyway. So everybody's fired up about the new year and all the new goals and objectives. So if, if you're in a vocational rehabilitation, if you're in Texas or California or whatever state you're in and, and you need assistance or you, you have people you want to place, or if you're one of those people, the blind, vision and paid people that, that need assistance, what, what would you tell them? Where, where do we do? What, how do we get to inclusive? What's, what's the, what's the program? And, how do we do it? Yeah, so we, we'll pretty much do most of everything for you. Um, if you go to clusiv.io, that's clusiv.io, clusive.io, um, and fill out any of the forms on there, right? We'll walk you through your customer experience, tell you the, the differences of Clusive and a bit about what we do. But you fill out any of the forms on there and submit them. Um, we'll get back to you within, within a very short time. Um, and if you're currently in vocational rehab, on the students page, uh, there's a navigation part. You just fill out the form on the students page with your vocational rehab counselor's name. We'll even send them an email with the justification as to why you want to take that course. Um, one of our account managers will meet with you as well and go from there. But it's pretty minimal lift on anybody's part to, to get a hold of it. And what is the, what is, what is, as the CEO and the founder, you're watching this thing, you're, you're putting all your blood, sweat and tears into it. Have there been any moments or any things that have happened where you've gotten some feedback from some of the end users or some of the people that have been touched by this? I mean, you, you've already increased your relationship with your, your uh, stepfather. 
you're you're picking up traction, you're getting momentum, and and good things are happening. Yeah, and, and I mean, I also like it's it's marketing for inclusive, but it's also just marketing for anybody that is looking for that that push. It's the new year, like you said, and that push to chase your dreams. Um, I gave up the highest paying job I had to to be poor for two years and build a company, and um, it takes one email to make it all worth it. And that one email came a few months back, four, four or five months back. One of our first graduates from the state of Texas sent me an email. Um, and she said, just ranting and raving about how much she loved the course. And she said, I've been using JAWS for 26 years. Um, through your course, I finally learned how to use this in a way that can help me get a job um, and navigate the things that I need to hold that job and not get fired again. Uh, it's, she said something along the lines of most effective training. And, um, but this sentence at the end, like, it's like scarred on my heart in the prettiest of ways. Um, she said, I am undoubtedly more capable of getting a job now. Thank you for all your hard work. I could cry talking about it, but it's a, uh, like every just shit moment, <laughs> all, all was worth it. Yeah interest right then um and we've got since then we've gotten a lot of reviews um we've gotten four people placed into jobs where they've more than doubled the money they were making prior um we've given people even if they, they they're not directly hopping into a job they've got more agency back now man i know how to correspond with my family now i can send people zoom invites we had a grandma in florida who uh she she had she had RP, her vision had gone completely down and she could no longer rely on magnification. Um, but this was during COVID during the thick of it. And um, through us, she learned how to use zoom so that her grandkids could still see her, even though she couldn't see them. And it's those stories, those moments where it's like, that's, I couldn't be more proud. And now we've got a team that's just man, blessed blessed and grateful <laughs> and hungry. We're going to grow even more in 23. Yeah, I think you're right, Luke. Uh, 2023 is going to be a, uh, I would say, tremendous year. I've got some pretty big plans personally for myself, for the, the little podcast that could. We just keep on, we just keep on moving and grooving and we try to, our, but the tagline here is challenging beliefs and revealing abilities that make people extraordinary. And wow. I do really feel like there are a ton of extraordinary stories out there and a, that a ton of extraordinary people have written and really want to tell. I, I, I usually find that if somebody has a, a, a tremendous story like that, they usually want to tell it. But sometimes you have to ask them, and yeah. uh, they, they, they wouldn't necessarily tell it otherwise. So we're on the search for those types of stories, those types of people. I feel like Clusive fits into the, um, the ethos for the whole kind of idea and the concept. So because that's exactly what you guys are doing. And uh, you are, are certainly challenging beliefs and breaking down barriers, demystifying blindness. You know, you just, you could use all kinds of different um, words to describe what you're doing. But I am, uh, I'm a fan and I'm appreciative. And it sounds like uh, I could probably learn some from you guys too. Um, you're, you're, you said like 16 to 60 was the demographic for the people that, that use the service. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, really anybody, but vocational rehab tends to have those limits. But um, 
No, I got to ask you too, though. I got to break the break the podcast second wall here. What? Okay. Oh my gosh. Here we go. Oh, it's like it's here, we are off script now. Oh my gosh. It's happening. Um, what inspired your tagline? So the I and for reference, the tagline for Clusive is to reduce the net amount of suffering in the world. That's our mission statement. It's not publicly stated, but it's internal. What inspired what inspired yours? I didn't see that coming. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we've been we've been pretty punny here tonight. I don't think I don't know if any of those have made it on the podcast, the live <laughs> recording here, but if it didn't, you missed. You sure did miss out on it. Maybe you can catch up with Luke or I somewhere else, and we can tell you about it. Uh, where did it come from? I. Uh, it's something. Challenging beliefs and revealing abilities that make people extraordinary is what it is, and I think that. It's kind of. Like, I mean, you've said it. We we've talked about it already. Like you say, people. You say blind people can use computers. Like, what are you talking about? So that that would be a belief that we're challenging. Like. People didn't yeah. didn't realize that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be about blindness. It could be about really any kind of challenge in life. It could be anything. But in my, it's mostly an extension of me because it's my podcast. And so um, it's my experiences and, and the bacterial meningitis and the things that happened with me. And there are a lot of things that have happened to me that have been miraculous. And I don't really have a good explanation for some of them. And I just, I feel the a higher power was involved in those uh, things. And I think that that stuff does exist. And I think there are some things we can explain. Um, yeah. There are things we can. And, um, you know, I've, words like demystifying and challenging and kind of trying to shake the status quo, I guess, just because I think the status quo is, is not a good place to be. And I think, as I said a minute ago, there are a ton of extraordinary people and they have extraordinary stories. And I am, I'm on the lookout for them. This is, we're uh, approaching 80 episodes and about 70 of them or 65 of them have been with um, different people. There's been some repeat and that's some I've done my own, but like I've, I've met six, at least 60 people that I didn't know before that just met out of the blue that have a pretty extraordinary story. And I'm, I'm not even, I haven't even scratched the surface yet. I think that's, incredible uh, and admirable and it's it's like uh it's one of those things where like the the medicine's in the action right you uh in 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 starting this podcast you opened yourself up you took a risk no one you're like oh maybe no one listens maybe someone does and you've grown this thing and now you've got to meet 60 people that are i don't know if i'm 61 or if i'm 60 on the dot but um hopefully all of them are cool. Hopefully I'm cool, but you know, no less you get to interact with 60 people you never would have before in a targeted way. Yeah. And that's, I, that's, I've said that too. It's like, if I just, um, you know, if we just bumped into each other on the, cause that's what would happen. I'd bump into you on the, on the street. Cause I didn't see you coming and we might exchange for like, you know, 30 seconds. Oh, sorry. Sorry. And you just get coffee all over yourself because you were carrying it and it spilled it. I'm really sorry. And I'm, I don't, I have this visual impairment. It's hard to see. I'm, I'm ambiguously blind. It's hard to explain. And then everybody goes on their way. So another part of the answer to your question was I, I wanted to be able to explain myself because I, there are people that, that I know that know me that don't know that I have a visual impairment or don't know that some other things about me that I share on my podcast. And it's just because sometimes you just don't have an opportunity to, to explain things. So 
it's just a way for me to express myself, expose myself and, and open myself up, kind of be vulnerable and be able to say things out loud into the ethos, into the world that I wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to say on a, you know, one-to-one individual basis. So it's cathartic for me too. Um, it was about two and a half years ago. I, I thought, you know, I need to, I just want to start talking about this stuff. I think, I think we need to start talking about it. So that's kind of a little bit more of the, an answer to the question too. So yeah, it's, that's it. I love it, man. I think that having the conversation is, is such an important thing because you don't know who encounters this. And hopefully, yeah. as we talked about earlier, it takes one yes, right? It takes one set of the right ears to encounter this. And that changes a perception that sets a thing in motion that, yeah, who knows? Yep. So, and I've gotten some great feedback from the podcast and there's, there's, there's people that listen amazingly. <laughs> Um, and, and people have been touched by some things that have happened, some stories we've shared and some things. And I, it's obviously just incredible. That's great. Um, and it, it fuels me to keep, to keep doing more and, and keep things going because it's, uh, this, it, it is a side project. It's not my, my main jam. So, um, it's, um, it's a passion thing and it's, it's something that I really like doing and, um, hope to continue for, for quite some time because there's a lot of people. Um, doing a lot of extraordinary things, just like what you're doing with Clusive. So this is this is why I do it. Well, and I I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, you know, what we're doing is is revolutionary in a sense, and it it takes a lot of people knowing about us and a lot of people requesting us and uh, um, awareness to start changing the game and setting a lot of things in motion. As I said before, so thank you for for having me. You're welcome. That's what it takes. It takes a spark. It takes somebody with the idea. It takes somebody to move it forward. And, um, I may not be that person, but I try to interact with people that can provide that spark and uh, throw it out there. So other people can consume that and understand and uh, hopefully go to clusive.io, which by the way, we'll link in the show notes, uh, down below where uh, you guys can find you. So Luke, it's been awesome, man. Hopefully we can do this again. Yeah, most definitely, John. I appreciate it so much. And thank you to all the listeners as well. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.